motherfucker, you have a responsibility to speak recklessly. People. Otherwise, my kids may never know what reckless talk People. sounds like. The joys of being wrong. I didn't come here to be right. Just give me the fuck around. People like games. That's fucking outstanding. What's up, what's up? And welcome to episode 79 of People Like Games. I'm Solo. And I'm Lilo. And it's Liz Squad in the building. And as usual, you are tuned in to the best damn podcast in the industry. Trademark, trademark, trademark. Compute, let's go. We've been doing this for a very long time. A very long time, which we were just mulling. Mm -hmm. It is June, and without getting too much into what we're playing, because we have a lot to... That's right. Plug. From the get-go, we are holding the most events we've ever done as... A team, uh, and we actually have found a base for the month for a couple of these. So, Mm -hmm. uh, if you happen to be in Long Island, as per usual, or in Huntington, June 2nd, we're hosting Smash and Chill, 16-person Smash Brothers tournament, $10 entry, tickets on Eventbrite. June 14th, Friday, we are going to be hosting a very Miyazaki film night, too, where we'll be showing My Neighbor Totoro. And we have a trivia night going, but I'll get into that at another time. And you can find all of us from the good old folks over on Twitter at People Like Games for the squad at Lilo PLG for Lilo at Beezus PLG for Beezus, who will be joining us on the book review, which we will touch on. And... Wait, wait, wait. He knows how to read? What? Oh, shit. I didn't know Do that. Do you even bad. game? Hey, Gibbard. <laughs> Early oh, in the show. Gibbard. And okay. you can find us over on Instagram at People Like Games. Reddit, r backslash People Like Games. I know you recognize a pattern when you hear one. And you can find said show on The Usual Suspects, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, <clears throat> Google Play. SoundCloud, so on and so forth. And that's all about all I have to say. And now over to Lilo for a little bit of... Talk, baby. Table of contents. And this is the episode where we're actually keeping it light, keeping it short. Not too many things for you. We're going to start out with the hotcakes in the lobby, baby. Uh, we actually only have a few of those for you. Not Nothing too crazy this week, but some some stuff that is crazy. <laughs> It is terrible. Uh, we're going to follow that up with quick scope. Sol and I have found four stories apiece that we want to cover for your leisure for this week of the 29th. Okay. And then that's giving you the rundown of the gaming industry, business news, gaming news, just generic fun facts about gaming, as I like to do. Follow that up with Solo something or another. He's going to talk about something or another, whatever he chooses at length, because we need to give him his own spotlight. Uh, there's no game this week, unfortunately, but we will announce... The book that we're going to be reviewing in the future, don't know when, but that is when uh, Solo, Beezus, and I shall be providing a book review of... That's right, it's called Range. Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World by David J. Epstein. 
you're curious, no, it is not a gaming book, but it is a book that hopefully speaks to us because we are definitely more jack of all trades than we are specialization rage, right rage, now. Rage. So, there we go. We got that rage. We got that uh, Steph Curry range. At least that's what we're trying to do. Um, and then uh, we're going to finish this episode off with it's our it's our review. It's a review of Raising Kratos, the God of War documentary that was released for free 99 on YouTube. Uh, it documents, you know, the five year journey to culminate in the masterpiece game of the year. That was God of War. So without further ado, Solo, let's kick it off and start off with the first hot cake. Or do you, do you want me to take it? That idea. You start us off and you already know that is our sound cue for Lilo's title. <laughs> So, where are we coming from? My title is great. Everyone likes hotcakes in lobby. All right. So, the first hotcake I got is the Pokemon Go Plus. Plus has been revealed as a continuation of the 2016 Pokemon Go Plus device. And unlike the previous device, this new Pokemon Go edition shall track your progress in the game while awake and asleep. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Pokemon will know when you're sleeping. Moving on. Solo? And on to a little Fortnite, who I feel like we covered a lot incessantly for a long time, and then they no longer really mean that. But they're back with a partnership with the Jordan brand, uh, and it is sort of amongst their usual uh, criteria of in-game skins, but this one also includes a skateboarding theme challenge, which... If anyone knows the Jumpman, they know that that is skateboarding all the way. Anyway, that's all I really have to say. Shout out to Epic, who I will come back for in a non-friendly way later on in the show. But now, that's an ironic sound clip. It's quick soap time. Let's go, baby. All right, quick scope. I'm going to start it off with a follow-up from episode 72 that we covered with the World Health Organization, the WHO, okay? Covered them and how, essentially, they create these definitions, I guess you say, international definitions of mental disorders and just health rules in general that everyone in the world should abide by. Long story short, gaming disorder has officially been stamped into existence according to the who so on may 25th there was the vote that went through and uh they voted to adopt the latest edition of the international classification of diseases or the icd and this is including an entry on the gaming disorder which is a behavioral or rather categorized as a behavioral addiction it's move that I think everyone should be a little bit worried about because with the boom of gaming and the success of Fortnite and other games like that, there have been many stories, I mean, throughout the history of gaming, of people overindulging, for sure. You probably heard about people dying while playing World of Warcraft for too long in a row. You probably heard about kids who are refusing to go to school because they want to play Fortnite or they make their parents wake them up early because they want to play Fortnite and shit like that. This is, like anything else, an addiction that is real. I think I have suffered from it in the past. As an adult, hopefully I am more moderate, but I, you know, I play games every day. I'm not going to lie. It's either on my phone or in front of the computer or whatever. Like, it is definitely real, but moral of the story, all things in moderation. I think Solo would agree. We understand people like games. Games are fun. They bring us together. It's a hobby. 
but that should never interfere with your daily life and what you need to accomplish to make sure that you are well fed, that you're living in a safe spot, that you have the clothes that you need and like, you know, all that stuff. So if it <laughs> apparently the real definition of this is that if gaming interferes with your daily needs or interferes with or has negative consequences on your life, then is categorized as a gaming disorder. And uh, I guess it's up for interpretation, what everyone's comfortable with. But yeah, like I said, moderation. Moderation is key, ladies and gentlemen. Please, we appreciate it here. Solo? Are you a gaming addict? Let's go with this. Are you a gaming addict, sir? I'm an addict, just not of gaming. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> uh, realistically. But that's its own lesson, which is that I think you know everyone has something that ends up distorting the balance of their lives and it's sort of important like you were saying to sort of moderate that that. and i'm not a fan uh, of creating these sort of clinical definitions of things because they take you know childhood hyperactivity which i would say a five-year-old not paying attention is a five-year-old being a five-year-old and saying that's adhd and 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 that that definition right, right. normally barriers on it would have just been, you know, something that could be treated. But nowadays you have to sort of think that it is going to be sort of correspondingly given medication with it. And that's something mm-hmm. if that's what they're going to be trying to, you know, start pitching and hawking fucking pills over this gaming disorder shit, then I'm going to be very uncomfortable with it. However, if it's to just, you know, be like, hey. If you're playing a game to the point that's fucking up your life, maybe you shouldn't be. So we agree there, even though we like <laughs> games. We don't. Right, right. Our show is not. People use video games as a substitute for crack. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> now. One is worse than the other, for sure. On to our next story. And one of our favorite companies that, you know, we want to apologize to once again for Lilo disrespecting you by giving your sound hit him with the sound cue a few times but we still need a negative version of sound cue because for this story Tencent has decided to give up on Arena of Valor which is its westernized version uh, of its flagship MOBA Honor of Kings doesn't surprise me MOBAs really aren't that popular around America anymore I'm giving him, I'm giving him the finger, everyone. Just so, let it be known. Let it be known. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand that it's real. Comparatively speaking, to China, because as I'll get into a number where we will have to fire that finger right back up his a-hole, which is that in China, or in the West, rather, uh, the game was generating $3 million in the first year. In China... It generates $3 million a day. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. Yeah, they have a huge population. That's a year to day. They have three times the population. It doesn't make up for a billion times difference in the the amount of money being spent. Regardless, uh, that just showed that, you know, they had a decreasing player base here and their original model of taking some of their bigger games over there reskinning them and bringing them to the West the same way that they take big Western games and bring them over to their own markets is not going to work. And so 
in recent sort of months, you've seen them revise that strategy and start acquiring sort of independent Western studios and just probably will give them the funds to release games here uh, the same way they invested in the developers and publishers that ended up getting big, like Blue Hole after PUBG or Epic, whatever the case is, instead of being like, we have an idea, let's take our game that works in China and bring it over because right. it doesn't right. adapt the same way it does from here to there is the case. So that's about all I have. Uh, to me, it's not surprising. I think... I'm sad that it they're giving up on it, though. Like, what that means to me is not as many updates for the time being. It's going to be phased out slowly. Support is just going to dwindle. That's bullshit. Yeah, that's not ideal. But whatever. Get Fuck good. All right. Fuck you guys. Western What's mobile that? players. <laughs> yeah, right. Seriously. Spend more money is really what it is. Spend more money. Come on. All right. Um, there is a new game out that a lot of people are spending money on, and this is our next story. It is the recent launch that we covered last week of Dauntless. Okay, Dauntless is making headlines because we played the beta together and that was legit. It is definitely a Monster Hunter-esque game. Rather, it draws inspiration from the RPG, open world RPG, Monster Hunter World, and uh, just Monster Hunter franchise in general. But anyway, Dauntless launched this past week across all platforms and enabled crossplay from day one. So that means it launched on PS4, launched on Xbox One, and on PC. Has plans for the Switch in the future, but across those three separate consoles and those two separate areas, yeah, they enabled crossplay. And so there's, these are some fun facts, okay? Coming out of just this past week. First and foremost, over 6 million people have joined the hunt. They say Slayers have joined the hunt, but it's the same idea. 6 million people have registered to play Dauntless across all platforms, which is insane. That's awesome. Shout over out Splitgate 2. Million. Just to pause then. Okay. Well, yeah, no. I got gotcha. you. You start out with what you're playing, baby, because that's what I was going to say. I've been playing Splitgate. Oh, it's fucking dope. I'm sorry that you uh, don't have pause a Pause and fuck you, NVIDIA. Continue. Okay, yeah. Uh, All right, so going back to Dauntless, 20 million hunts have been killed, or rather completed, since launch. Over 13 million behemoths, which is one of the main bosses in the game, have been slain in one week, or at least one of the bigger monsters in the game. Uh, Two million slayers have been forced to retreat, meaning you have to abandon your hunt because you couldn't complete it, and if you die, you kind of lose a whole bunch of shit that you don't really want to lose. 60% of parties, this is probably the most interesting fact, really, 60% 60% of the parties that are currently playing together are based off of crossplay. So you have people, Xbox and PlayStation getting together, Xbox and PC, PC and PS4, like all this is going back and forth. That's that's kind of insane if you think about it. And then over 15 million hours have been played in the past week. 25 million weapons have been forged in seven days. And there's an action in the game kind of like uh, if you ever played, what is it? Not The Witcher, um, Skyrim or something like Fable. You could pet dogs, okay? You can pet dogs in the game. Apparently, dogs have been pet like a bazillion times in the game just because people run up to dogs and want to play them so, or pet them. Either way, fun facts, Dauntless, free to play. Check it out on Xbox, PS4, or PC. Be sure to uh, link up with your friends. It is Monster Hunter. It has different, semi-different mechanics compared to uh, Monster Hunter. You can obviously pay. It's based off of microtransactions. You can get cosmetic items and things of that nature. 
but uh, for the most part, it's pretty legit. I have not downloaded it myself yet, to be honest. I've only played the beta, so I'm actually really interested to see the differences that they've made in the game and the strides that they've gone through. The biggest thing that they have, they weren't expecting this many people to join, and as a result, uh, server times. You got a long queue, so be sure to log in now if you want to play later. Just just throw it out there. Okay. Solo? Sucks to get big is yep. basically the premise. Uh, more or less. Anyway, uh, we only got a few more articles here for you. Uh, first and foremost, an idea has come to fruition that does not surprise me. That is that PlayStation is going, or I guess Sony rather is setting up the uh, PlayStation Productions Division, which is going to be a studio that is uh, focused on creating film and television productions based on PlayStation properties. We covered this pretty early on in the show, maybe episode maybe 13, 14, uh, about the fact that with comic books sort of hitting not an end point, but a saturation point in terms of the number of more characters that you could potentially bring to the screen or stories that you could bring to the screen. It opened up the ability for video game properties to start getting adapted. This was around the time of that dumbass Prince of Persia adaptation that fucking Magneto's in. And so uh, that stupidity aside... Oh, no, Assassin's Creed. My bad. Prince of Persia was... Uh, yeah, wait, wait. I, I was going to say Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. He went, he I, went, mean, I was like, they confused. both sucked. Like, and we will live... Like back in 2013. We will live and die on the show on the hill that Guillermo del Toro, Bioshock, the end. But regardless, uh, they're setting it up. There's a lot of great IP that, you know, PlayStation Productions have that can be made. Uh, and I'm sure Sony has a big chip on their shoulder for the way that they had to give up Spider-Man and most of their Marvel's characters' rights uh, following getting smoked by Marvel Studios. <clears throat> That's all I got. That's a lot of smoke. That is a lot of smoke. So, I'm going to switch gears here. And the gears that I'm switching to are science-based, baby! This is what I'm talking about. Uh, I came across a cool story. It's actually old news, but... As in the science community, your information that I'm going to say to you is all dependent on when these studies have come out. So this is actually a study that was done a few years ago, but I think, uh, when I say I think, I'm hypothesizing in scientific terms that the numbers are pretty relevant. And this is interesting as of 2015. So let me just start off with anybody who has a gaming computer is using more energy than they need to. Okay, that's just fact number one. How much money are they spending or how much money are gaming computers costing the average consumer? Well, in total, gaming costs apparently $10 billion in energy annually. Why? Well, that's because gaming computers, it's just like, it's just, they just use so much effing energy. So an active gamer will use apparently approximately, or active gaming computer will apparently use about 1,500 kilowatt hours a year. Um, you measure energy usage in kilowatt hours or in just really, it's watts and kilowatt hours is just, oh, Jesus Christ, I wish Bezos was on the show because he could probably explain this better. Long story short, all the energy you use costs money, clearly. 
Electricity is not that expensive nowadays. However, there are different devices in your house that are using all these different types of energy. <laughs> I'm so dumb. Using a varying amounts of energy is what I mean to say. The average gaming computer okay, uses the equivalent of about three Energy Star refrigerators. So let that sink in. The refrigerator that you use to keep your shit cold, to make sure that you make ice and you can keep shit frozen, uses less energy on average than your gaming PC while you're gaming. That is absurd. Gaming PCs, in as of 2015, made up about less than 3% of installed PC equipment worldwide, but they accounted for over 75 terawatt hours of electricity per year to the cost of $10 billion, like I said. That adds up to a total, really, of nearly 20% of total PC, notebook, and console energy usage in general. Long and short of it, right now, a study is going into the idea, or rather go to the facts that gaming PCs go off of this idea of nameplate, um, what is it, nameplate energy usage, meaning you have components, everything in a computer is rated for a certain amount of wattage, and you're like, oh yeah, it's going to require 10 watts to run this, and like 20 watts to run this, and my power supply is like 900 watts, that kind of stuff. But that's just nameplate. Like You don't actually know what your computer is consuming unless you do measurements and take measurements like that. As a result, the gaming industry and all the components that you're getting are rated for much higher than they actually need to consume. And if you swap them out for more energy efficient versions, you would not be compromising any performance, but you could be saving up to 75% of the energy used on that console. So when I say that my power supply is 900 watts, I realized that my computer doesn't use 900 watts. My computer probably uses 450 tops, even while gaming. So if I switched out my power supply and got one that was variable and matched what I needed, I could save half of my energy bill right there. That's, that's essentially the moral of the story. Gamers cost a lot of money, and we can make it more efficient, but it's not a priority right now. And I think that's the biggest thing. But I thought it was very interesting. I want to share. And solo... Fortunately for you, you save an electric bill because you don't have a gaming PC. <laughs> I was going to say, for the listener, you can channel some of that energy that you save into an alarm clock to wake you up from We Will Born Talk. You like it, right? Oh my God, mm. it's so good. You jerk. Shout out to non-official just- sponsor Gushers for making that joke not as smooth as I wanted because of your delicious food. Anyway, I was eating. That was terrible. On to we could hear. our oh, we next could story, hear. and a very important one at that, because, as you know, we love to mix politics and gaming, because everyone loves politics these days. And so, on, or I guess as a result of uh, the Trump administration's growing trade war with China, uh, video games have uh, potentially become a victim. And that is a victim potentially of up to a 25% tariff on video game machines uh, and consoles, coin-operated arcade machines, which I don't know if that still existed, and parts related to the operation of coin-operated arcade machines. However, that doesn't maybe exist in the version you think, but it does affect a particular industry based in Las Vegas. However... Uh, the game industry has already been hit with a partial tariff from the trade war with a 10% tariff hitting uh, graphics card makers, AMD and NVIDIA. 
And the economics behind consoles is that for the most part, they don't make money or they try to shoot for as close to as break even as possible. And sometimes they don't do that. And so instead, uh, they try to recoup some of the losses. So if this ends up occurring, it is going to potentially break the model for console selling and maybe ends up occurring at the right time or is going to drive up, up to an absorbent rate or uh, the exorbitant rate, excuse me, uh, the prices of uh, additional hardware controllers, etc. So prior to this being enacted, if you were on Not the good. fence about potentially buying something, Bye. Bye now. Bye now. Bye. Bye, Bye now. All right. That, uh, that so we'll we'll keep you updated on that and how that will evolve uh, with a larger segment moving forward. But I have more to talk about in relation to serious shit. So I'm just going to pass the buck as we end up here. All right. Um, then we're going to roll over to another story that we will probably be covering at length in the future, esports is growing. This is definitely a centralized point and a point of contention, really, between all the different esports. How do you regulate something like this? But what am I talking about? I'm talking about cheating in esports in general. So I'm going to give you a rundown of sort of what it is, how it happens, and what people are currently doing about it. So to start off, you've got cheating. We understand cheating. You know, you okay over there with the gushers? Jeez, I can't even hear myself. Oh my god. All right, so. <laughs> You start out with cheating. <laughs> I hate you so much right now. Our editor is not going to cut that out either. This motherfucker. Uh, every esport event you go to has some sort of anti-cheating going on in the background. They're trying to prevent people who are currently playing, if it's in an in-person event, from cheating there by standardizing equipment and stuff like that. Or if uh, they're just having a game that you're playing online, like on Steam, if you're playing Counter-Strike, they have other algorithms and uh, machine learning stuff that's going on in the background, including their anti-vac services running so that, you know, you don't have any cheaters. But it's a big problem in gaming in general because anytime you have technology, you have people who are trying to exploit this technology and who are trying to gain an advantage, A, to make themselves better in... in terms of trying to uh, get monetary gain over someone else. That's why like you have cheating in tournaments and there have been cases of that in Counter-Strike and Overwatch and things of that nature. But then you also have those cases where people just want to be dicks and they want to flaunt it and ruin the game for you, which is really, really unfortunate for a lot of people. So that's the biggest thing that we have in gaming right now. Uh, some things in shooters, some cheats include aimbots, which you might have heard, automatically get headshots whenever you fire a gun. Doesn't matter if it's going through walls or whatnot. You've got wall hacks and shooters. You've got different things in the nature of at tournaments, you're going to have standardized equipment across the board. And this is not just because you want everyone to be on equal playing service, but it's because you want to make sure that none of the devices that you're using can have installed software on them. So they have specialized keyboards and specialized mouse mice for that. Uh, every computer game that you have has some form of anti-cheating, but really what I want to come to is the fact that Every esport does it differently, and I think that is something that needs to change. It's almost impossible to regulate them together because every game is developed differently, so there's different exploits to every game. But I do understand that the general rules across the board, there, there is no organization 
that is responsible for anti-cheating in every esport event because publishers just run their own esports events and own esports leagues. So it's up to the discretion of them. But the rules are very vague, and what is acceptable in one league is not necessarily the standard in another league. Doping comes in. Kids are getting drug tested nowadays for esports, which is great, but that's one of the few things that you can do, like football and soccer and fucking basketball and baseball. They all have this anti-doping stuff, but like, you think about the fact that you can't do that in esports because every game is so variable. And I think that's something that needs to be revisited, and this is a topic that we're going to cover more at length in the future. I gave you kind of a brief overview of what is being talked about in esports in general, but as esports grow, this is definitely going to grow too. Hello. Kids, don't do drugs. Unless they become slowly legalized, beginning in the West Coast and move to the East. And hopefully become federally legalized recreationally. Shout out sponsors. Anyway, uh, I want to add that uh, doping will forever be an issue. I think it's just the nature of uh, competition. And lastly, to finish up uh, quick scope with uh, some big news, Nate Nanzer, who was the commissioner of the Overwatch League, has moved over to Epic to now become the uh, CEO or commissioner of, or I guess, what's the what's the commissioner? What, what's this uh, position that they have? I guess... Uh, the head of competitive esports or competitive Fortnite. Uh, to be frankly honest, he proved thoroughly incompetent in his time as the head of the Owl, and I look forward to him continuing the already uh, thorough failure that is the Epic Games uh, Fortnite esports scene with his own brand of unique ineptitude. Anything to add? Harsh words. I don't know him that well to know if he did or did not fail, but he's going to where the money is, and that for sure is Fortnite. Fortnite got that coin too. Big so facts. Makes sense. And they got Rocket League. Anyway, that is all we got for a little bit of that quick scope. Now, you know, it is something or another with a slightly quick run through of a very important topic that I'm going to follow up uh, next week, actually, for once and do a two part uh, something or another, or I might even turn next week into a rabbit hole and just give you all a thorough breakdown of uh, this topic. Um, Maybe, maybe two weeks. Anyway, we had covered about two weeks ago how Missouri Senator Josh Hawley had proposed uh, potentially bringing forward loot box legislation, and I had mentioned that it was uh, probably going to see bipartisan support because it was a very easy subject, but it sort of surprised me that it had occurred like that. And lo and behold, he has found two co-sponsors for the bill, Democrats, Richard Blumenthal and Ed Markey of Connecticut and Massachusetts, respectively. It's going to get harsh for them uh, because uh, 
you know, for, you know, quoting them and all three together as a group. Uh, they said that the monetize they called the monetization practices reprehensible. Congress must send a clear warning to app developers and tech companies. Children are not cash cows to exploit. Uh, Stanley, the manly said this legislation is flawed and riddled with inaccuracies. Quite the template statement for a man who is clearly out of his league. But the plan is surely not going to. <laughs> He's trying. He's trying. He's trying to rhyme it. It's not good. Panly. <laughs> it's ha, exactly. The plan's not going to panly. Anyway, we got it. Anyway, uh, it actually um, does end up doing some interesting things like creating a definition of loot boxes for them uh, or for legal purposes, which is what matters. Um, and that is uh, any add-on transaction that adds a feature or enhances entertainment value in a randomized or partially randomized fashion. Uh, it also specifies any system where buying something unlocks the ability to buy other things that users aren't informed about before the initial transaction. Uh, it also attacks pay-to-win offerings that would ease a user's progression uh, with content uh, that could be earned without purchases, let players skip cooldown timers or buy additional lives or gameplay attempts, basically anything that affects um, competitive gameplay. Obviously, there are spaces in there for uh, cosmetic skins, so that wouldn't be under there, but it can't be sold to you randomly. It has to be sold to you individually, like we had said it should. And most importantly and most draconian, it is that the bill prohibits publication or distribution of games with quote-unquote pay-to-win mechanics or loot boxes in minor-oriented games or any game where the company has quote-unquote, look at how general this is, constructive knowledge that any users are under age 18. That's ridiculous. This is what you get fucking gaming industry because I remember someone a very long time ago saying, hey... I know you're making a whole lot of money. Maybe a good idea would be to hit the brake on that shit because if you keep trying to exploit them, the tax man's going to come up and be like, whoa, you never paid us. Now we got to hit you hard so everyone knows that you got to pay if you want to play. And so congratulations, the inability to self-regulate, which has been probably Solo's biggest fucking preaching point for two seasons. Do you know what episode one middle title is? Give me the loot boxes. We've been on it since day one because this has been the predominant topic. And this is a full circle to where it started, which was if you don't do something, they'll do something for you. And now you have to figure out how to fight it back. Um, Anyway, uh, as I said, I'll get into it more, but pretty big deal. Um, Anything to say other Seems than like a big deal. damn solo, be sure to subscribe listener. So you could get in on information a year ahead. If you don't believe us, be sure to look back when Lilo covered Splitgate with shout out 1047 games for the banging game, which is now available right. on steam. Pretty legit. I would say the only thing I would say rather for that is there was always a guarantee that the tax man was going to come in, a.k.a. there was always going to be legislation. So why would you self-regulate and limit your profit until it happens? And 
that's just the businessman talking. It's like, I'm not going to self-regulate if I don't have to. And then, you know, it's coming down the line, but like, it's not going to make it any less. Yes, it will. Because no, they have to, be there's people. a moderation that, it's a moderation. So if they know that you've put into a, the reason, same reason gaming didn't get. But you can't make pointed general laws. No, you, you have to make it's like this. Gaming didn't get harshly regulated because they instituted the, uh, the 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 rating system in the '90s. That's where the ESA was born. This is where we covered pretty early in the show, which is this is where the ESA and the ESRB were born because Congress was like, "Yo, video games are really violent," which is when Mortal Kombat had come out, and they're like, "We need to crack down," and they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa." We'll create these boards which independently review the games. And once they independently review the game, then all the parents will know and every consumer can make an informed decision. We just kept saying from the beginning, all they had to do was release the odds the same way China did. And then it wouldn't be as harsh as it would have been. They took no steps at all to show any good faith. And I think good faith would have made some companies did. Some companies did, but let's backtrack. Every single company that Belgium had to kick out, like, they literally had to kick them out by threat of law. Look at what Battlefield did. They didn't, or Battlefront, excuse me. They didn't do it because they wanted to. They put that mechanic in there because they chose to. They only pulled it back because they were nervous about how it would damage the wider Star Wars brand because of Force Awakens or whatever that seventh movie was called came out. Eighth movie. (laughs) The Last Jedi. That's your favorite one. Yeah, hey! no. <laughs> now it's time to move on. Um, I guess this is a final app, but that was a great topic. Great conversation. We're going to continue that further down the line. Um, and moment of silence. Goddamn. I love being right. Anyway. That's terrible. This is a terrible podcast. Which shout out to our <laughs> editor, who will be cleaning up this episode later. And thank you for not being a big as dick as our designer, who's a huge jerk. But Damn, this designer, son of a biscuit. All right, son what of we got? You starting? Am I starting? I'm starting, starting. Because I put All God right. of War in the top five, dead or alive. And that's just off one LP. If you know that line, that means you're a Jada Kiss fan. Anyway. Raising Kratos was a documentary released by Santa Monica Studios, which is behind the game uh, God of War that came out for PS4 and that we covered last week, sold 10 million copies in its first year. Uh, The documentary was basically about the process of uh, the creation of the current Santa Monica Studios in LA, as well as the way that the current God of War first came about from ideation to sort of the process through E3 to launch. And it was, it's an incredible documentary. It's available on YouTube. Uh, And, you know, we have a whole bunch of things we want to talk about with it, but I figured it's more of a discussion. Best way. The best way to sort of start off the conversation would be to, uh, I guess ask a, a, a simple question as sort of a inf- starting point or inflection point, which would be, uh, what is one thing that you sort of, what was one thing you still remember or sort of walked away with now that the documentary uh, finished or the first thing that comes to mind? Time. Uh, they distilled 400 hours of footage down to a two-hour documentary per se. Documentary had multiple tones throughout it and 
really what you got was this was a five-year endeavor, 4.8 years apparently or something like that, but like round it up. Let's go, five years. That's how many, I, I can't even tell you how many man hours, 150 people for a majority of that 4.8 years developing one single product that went on one single gold copy CD. Holy shit. That's a lot of effort and it's a leap of faith. And that's what it comes down to in the gaming industry sometimes. It's a leap of faith and hoping that all of your ideas coalesce, you create a great product and dude, time. That that was just insane. Just seeing that the progression. And your fears from day one are still there on release day. It's not until the reviews come in and the sales show that uh, you know that you've made it or not. I think feast or famine was the line I heard and I like that a lot. It's feast or famine in this industry. And I didn't realize that until I watched this documentary. What about you? I think that the weak never start, the cowards, oh wait, excuse me, the cowards never start, the weak die along the way, that leaves only us. And I think more realistically, I think the the documentary really humanized the process of, of game development. And yeah. in the sense that when... If you follow the show, uh, I ended up actually buying and getting a PS4 because I I want I needed to get God of War. That was the game that came out, and I I saw it and I was like, that looks incredible. I don't know why it looks incredible, and I need to play it. And if I gotta buy a console to play that game, I'll get a console to play that game. I ended up getting console a, seller. What's up? A, I got a PS4 because the gods, uh, shout out God of War, uh, shined upon me. And then mm-hmm. they shined by me twice uh, and gave me a second PS4. What's up? Oh, sure. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, after I played it, I mentioned one of the top five games I've ever played. It was just an incredible experience. And to see the hum- humanity in the story making from the actors and uh, the developers and the executive producers and, you know, Corey Barlog himself, it, it really made it feel like what I just played and having an understanding of how it put together made it more meaningful uh, because yeah. you're, you, yeah, you're sometimes, sure. it looks like it falls out of the sky sometimes as a gamer and you forget the sort of process. We're entitled. We're entitled. We are very entitled. We have so many products. Very entitled. Like we get products that are great quality left and right, but then you forget that there's people behind the product for sure. And the time, like literally these guys have spent five years of their lives working on one product. Yeah, you're doing different things throughout the life cycle, but five years. I can't, I've only like, I've only been at one job for five years. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just insane to me. And imagine working on one project throughout the five years, I would go insane. Instead, you need to change it up. And that's what, that's what you have to manage, really. Corey, you saw his journey pretty much. You kind of saw it through his eyes. You saw everyone, but he was the main... He was definitely... Had a majority of the screen time. Let's go with that. And you saw the process of... Really, you just saw the stresses, the day-to-day, I think. Like, there's a lot of that, right? Going through what everyone was thinking about, what they were talking about. The difference of opinions, really how involved everyone was, what a game director actually does, but then what an executive producer, how they fit into the picture, how everyone has their own influence and like has their own opinions about things. It's just, it was good. It was very, very cool. Uh, I think, do you want to go into some some fun facts that you saw from 
from the documentary, like anything uh, yeah, that stuck yeah. out? Because I, I listed a couple. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll just uh, we'll just go back and forth with some highlights that sort of stuck out. Um, and you know, right. spoiler alert: if you have not seen it yet and you're interested in seeing it fresh, pause this shit, go watch it. We're gonna mention specifics from here on out. So again, spoiler alert. If you don't want a documentary about a game that came out a year ago to be ruined, I don't know what the fucking internet's like these days. So fuck it. Here's your alert. Mm -hmm. And um, if you do not heed it and you come and say, I spoiled it, I will shame you mercilessly from at people like games on Twitter. Hey, anyway, that's right. uh, The theme song construction was really hilarious. So watching the composer talk about how he thought about so long about this you know, the right song. And then at the end, he just fucked around and played a few keys and he's like, oh shit, that's it. And that... <laughs> he's a man of few words. I remember that. A man yeah. of few words, it needs a, a few keys. And I, I think notes. that yeah. was a beautiful encapsulation of uh, the creative process the creative because process. the amount Thanks. of times I bang my head against a wall and then that shit just comes out accidentally at the end. And I'm just like, oh my God, I spent six hours on that and it came to me in 15 minutes you needed the five hours of 45 minutes to get to the 15 mm-hmm. all right i was gonna say it's, they spent a year and a half to create a nine minute demo for e3 in 2017 and then they had a year and a half to create 30 hours that was fucking hilarious to me just shows we, we kind of pulled back the the curtain on that process when we did our book review of uh, blood sweat and pixels i think about how long it takes to make a demo and how a demo is sort of fake because they put all this work into making like a, a short 10 minute game. That was just funny. It was just insane. And they got it done. So good for them. You got another one? Yes. Uh, as to the what you're saying, uh, I agree as well. Because uh, as anyone knows with me uh, and with our team now and events, which Eventbrite tickets, so on and so forth, uh, we are trying to do the same thing, which is in our first half, we were like, hey, look at all the time we spent putting together nine minutes. And it's like, now let's do the rest of everything at the same time. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> what do we do here? But we'll figure it out. We'll add five weeks. Anyway, I thought the uh, entirety of the game and the way it felt to me and executed as something that was really beautiful and meaningful, etc. It makes sense now watching its creation, because I feel like when you really, when they talk about putting passion or love or whatever it is into something and how that comes out, I think, you know, from the, 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 the guy who was a uh, voice in Kratos's character talking about the similarities between the story, judge. uh, Hmm. Charlie Judge, sorry. Charlie Judge? Yeah. All right, Charlie Judge, excuse me. I, I didn't write everyone's names down. I, I, I should have, which even the executive producer, so if you happen to be listening for some reason, Samantha, my bad. I didn't remember your name, and Lilo yelled at me, so now I remember it. So, um, you know, even uh, just the human moments in those and, and the uh, the toil and the sacrifice. Well, we'll get to that, but uh, the, the relation to that. So with Corey infusing the fact that he had just become a father and how he spent a lot of nights speaking with his own father about, uh, you know, the story and how the story ended up becoming the son, you know, the father, the son ends up raising the father and, you know, so on and so forth. And so that, and, you know, even with each of the people, the kid as well, it just, 
it was nice to see uh, the emotion everyone had. And holy shit, that E3 unveiling is a chills moment. Dude, it, it really was. I totally agree. That was such a, a validation, a feeling of validation that the work you're putting in is going to be well received. And you really don't know until it's revealed. Like, that's fucking crazy. And I'm just going to bounce one more thing off that and just say the sacrifices involved, which sort of goes hand in hand, because uh, one moment I really noted, which was the executive producer I just mentioned, Samantha, who was interviewed and, and they asked uh, the question of uh, what they had had to sacrifice in order to keep the game and the team alive. And she refused to answer. Uh, and she just thought, I said, I, I can't answer that question right now. And then later on, she talks about the time that's spent away from her family and her kids and how, you know, sort of hope is worth it. And as Lilo was just saying, to put that time in and, and not know what the outcome is, it, it sort of goes to show. Uh, oh, sis, I keep saying Samantha. <laughs> Excuse me, Shannon, because we <laughs> spent no time Chris. correcting me, but that's my bad. So we're going to we're gonna rewind this. I'm just going to use Shannon and clip that shit and fix it. My bad, Shannon. I'm not going to actually go. do that because I'm lazy. But my bad, Shannon. <laughs> um, but, right. you know, talking about those sacrifices and how... <clears throat> Basically, we're because we're a little late, I'm going to summarize this with all of that combined uh, goes to show that we should be kinder in the way we go about uh, reviewing and also being more appreciative of some of the things we get because of all of the, hum the, the concept of blood, sweat, and tears when creating something is not a phrase. Uh, it's very real. Uh, and what form that blood comes in doesn't have to always be actual bleeding. Um, and, you know, that was that's very well reflected in this documentary. And I really hope to see more pieces of, um, you know, content like this. I would love to watch more. I would love to watch a video like this about every single fucking game that comes out. Fair, fair. Um, I think on that note, I, I will have nothing else to add. There are a couple more funny points that I wanted to point out, but... You can see them yourself if you watch the documentary on YouTube. It is one hour and 54 minutes long, and PS4 exclusive God of War. It's beautiful, beautiful insight into the gaming industry that you love. If you've stuck, stuck with us for this past 55 minute episode, clearly you enjoy gaming or want to hear more about it. So just go check out this, or you're uh, lost. this movie, this documentary. Or hey, or you're lost. And you're here because we can help guide you. Hey. We can guide you to the light. So. On that note, uh, so I'm just going to take the cue and I'm going to wrap it up here for us. I refuse to see the mantle. I'm just saying, be sure to uh, check out our Instagram. You can find what? our podcast, obviously, SoundCloud and Spotify. We got events coming up. So this many Miyazaki nights, so many Smash Smashes. It's going to be great. Wicked. Yeah. Wicked cool is right. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.